0: Welcome to IBTI Blast, the podcast for bomb technicians and investigators. Okay, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of IBTI Blast, the podcast for bomb technicians and investigators. My name is David O'Sullivan. I'm currently the chair of the IBTI's past international directors. Today's guest is Bob Boland, who's the branch chief and quality manager for the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. He's based at the National Center for Explosives Training and Research in Huntsville, Alabama. Some of you may know him as a past international director and regional director for IABTI, but in addition to that, he serves in a voluntary capacity with IABTI as the program manager for the IBTI's Certified International Post-Blast Investigators Program. Welcome to the podcast, Bob.
1: Thank you, Dave. I'm happy to virtually be here.
0: So, Bob, tell me what we're talking about today.
1: So I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to speak today, and, and the topic that I want to talk about is, is valid credentialing in the public service uh, sector. So normally, you know, this doesn't get a lot of discussion around the IBTI community. You know, valid credentialing seems like it's kind of a boring topic to talk about, but it's really important, and for those of us who serve the public interest, Our governments and, of course, the people that we serve have an expectation that when you are hired to perform a certain public service, that they're going to get a competent individual who is capable, at least, of adequately handling whatever public duty they are tasked with doing. Now, that seems like a simple concept or or, or expectation, uh, if you will, but how often is the public let down by the incompetent individual trying to carry out that same public duty they are tasked with? I like to say, you know, go ahead and take your chances with surgery if the person performing it doesn't have MD credentials after their name, medical doctor. However, you know, what if you're requiring brain surgery and the person who is tasked with performing it is a medical doctor, but they carry a pediatric care credential? So this is, when I talk about valid credentialing, David, it's it's not only talking about the validity of the credential itself, but it's the appropriateness of it as well. So it's a concept that cuts across all fields at all levels with significant impacts. In fact, just as a, as a uh, interesting fact to provide the audience, uh, there's an organization known as WorkCred. They're an affiliate of the American National Standards Institute, or ANSI for short. They currently report that there are over 738,000 credentials in the United States alone.
0: So Bob, tell us How did you end up in a position where this became a topic of interest for you?
1: Well, I'd like to say it's because I had nothing better to do. But but of course, we all end up doing things that we don't always expect we're going to be doing as we go through life. And I spent the first 30 years of my public service in law enforcement. So credentialing was not exactly a topic at the forefront of my daily duties. You know, I attended a lot of training like we all do during the course of my career. I even had a few certifications, but not until the past six years in my current position with ATF have I been fully engaged with this concept. Now, I have a much clearer connection between the two fields of quality and law enforcement. Part of this stemmed from me having to build up my own personal knowledge and credentials relevant to the quality field over the past six years, uh, because quite frankly, there's just not a lot of people who've worn both hats. At NCEDAR, which, uh, as most people know, is primarily a credentialing issuing organization, by the way. Part of my duties include seeking out appropriate personal and organizational credentials for our programs themselves and our personnel and our operations. This centers around credentials with third-party accreditation, such as the organizational credential I just helped us achieve last year for NCEDR with the Accreditation of the ATF National Response Team to the ISO standard 17020.
0: Okay, well, Bob, tell us, tell the listeners just what you mean by valid credentialing.
1: Right, yeah, it's important to distinguish because there's credentials and then there's valid credentials. And so when I refer to valid credentialing, you know, whether it's public or private realm, it applies in both a personal and an organizational setting both of which are going to impact the social contract between the citizens of the country and the governments that serve them. Now I clearly understand that those social contracts between a country and its citizens can have a very significant difference around the world. But for purposes of today, David, I just I, I'm mostly following the US government model. And in that model, most citizens do have certain beliefs and expectations about how their government performs. I know that's it's a very similar model in your country uh, of England. And, and of course it's a model. We don't we won't laugh about whether it works or not, but at hazard, I guess that these beliefs and expectations are very much the norm around the world, just with varying degrees about the beliefs and expectations that the people have. And so, you know, a credential itself is basically defined as a qualification, achievement, personal quality, or aspect of a person's background typically when used to indicate that they are suitable for something. So that's, you know, that's in a nutshell credential. But from that starting point, there are a number of factors that bring validity to a credential. So oftentimes in our line of work, you'll hear about certifications as well. I'd like to talk about that as well, if I can, David, in a bit. But first, um, if I may, Uh, I'd like to discuss some just basic characteristics of what makes a credential valid, if that's okay with you. Go ahead. So, you know, first, a valid individual credential should be able to demonstrate a greater predictive individual competency. So in other words, are you, basically, are you truly qualified or competent to successfully and safely do the job required? For instance, in our line of work, You might be a certified bomb technician, but are you able to RSP an underwater mine? It's a clear difference between that certification and the requirement uh, for that mission. So you have to understand, it's important to understand whether the credential you have actually aligns with the competency you require or need to properly perform your duties. Next thing to ask is the credential based on actual required competencies. So what I mean by that is, was there actually some type of formal job task analysis or competency modeling utilized? Uh, And these are tools that help, you know, uh, us figure out what are the actual jobs uh, or the requirements for a job. Were these used to design, develop, and implement the basis for the credential? You know, what is the actual need that the credential needs helps to fulfill? And when I say this, I say, beware, because this is This has been common in law enforcement over the years, uh, ad hoc credentials. And what I mean by that is that's where subject matter experts simply make unilateral decisions about what they think you should know versus basing it on actual evidence. Another thing is discerning the credential include comprehensive assessments. That's critical for validity. Um, That can be written or observable or both. Are the assessments relevant to the credential? Aligned with the required competencies to earn the credential. So, in other words, are the questions or observations criterion referenced uh, so that the level of competency is aligned with the predictive outcomes for the credential earned? In other words, the tests, the assessments themselves have to be completely relevant to the competency. They have to be aligned with the need and the way the questions are asked and the way they are assessed. Also, this is important because. Does the credential include continual demonstrated proficiency? And that means assessments, proficiency assessments. Especially if the credential is a certification, it absolutely should have a recertification included as part of the credential. Also, can you identify all the valid credentials that will facilitate you reaching your goal, being truly competent what you do? It may be that it requires more than one credential to be truly competent. And then lastly, is the credential itself validated by a true third party, such as occurs with accreditation? You know, some credentials may be self-validated. You know, meaning that the credential issuer also validates the credential, and and that's that's a very common thing, especially in law enforcement. That doesn't necessarily mean the credential's invalid, but you really need to to take a look, hard look at that, and assess what the validity of that credential is. So, in essence, David. When I say a valid credential, a valid credential really should be an excellent predictor of the competency it is designed to meet. It's not just something to make your talents look appealing on paper, it should be an actual credential that has a high predictability of demonstrating that you or your organization have the actual knowledge, skills, and abilities to perform the mission competently and safely.
0: Well, thanks for that that explanation, Bob. I mean, some of our more cynical members would say, you know, why do we need to use the phrase that we use over here? Why do we need the nanny state um, telling us what we should and shouldn't do and what we should and shouldn't know to be able to stand up and give evidence on the subject that we've spent our whole life building experience in?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's why, you know, a system of valid credentialing is so critical because it... It ties everything together. You know, if if a certain, if a, let's say just for a bomb technician, for instance, you know, we know they have certain competencies they need to have to perform their job safely and competently. If they don't have those standards and those standards aren't truly what they need, I mean, just think of the results, catastrophic to say the least.
0: So, in, in, you know, what what do you think then, what would you say to the, um, the average member of the IABTI? What is the value of having valid credentials to public service?
1: Right. Well, I mean, you know, you have to personally look at this and say, OK, um, I know that there's an obligation from my government to my public that the right or rather competent people are doing the jobs they're hired to do. That should be, you know, right from the get go. That's that's a, a standard. Then in order to be competent, there may be very specific knowledge, skills and abilities these people must have. So in many cases, a valid credential or many valid credentials are going to be essential to making someone truly competent. On the one hand, the government, the public has an expectation. On the other hand, the government has an obligation and valid credentialing helps get the government to that expectation. You know, David, in fact, some credentials are absolutely mandatory as a condition of employment and competency. I mean, you can't practice you know, medicine without a, a, a medical license and medical doctor credentials. Or say, you can't legally practice those things. So, you know, those may include certificates, certifications, or licenses that are required for those positions. Uh, And in these cases, both the individual and the organization are in agreement as to the need for these credentials. And because of that, typically organizations will cover the expenses of achieving those credentials. The areas that really need a closer look, David, are, are when individuals and organizations are looking at credentials that are voluntary or preferred. Although not mandatory, some of those credentials may be highly preferred by the organizations, especially in their hiring processes, but not necessarily ones they want to pay for. So the key to understanding these kinds of credentials is to determine if they are aligned with the competency necessary to perform the assigned mission. Sometimes showing this alignment is gonna help the agency justify why they want to use taxpayer money for the costs associated with obtaining these credentials and and thus keeping uh, you know us from having to pay for these out of pocket you know one of the ways this concept of having the right credentials and we, we talk about why it's important to us in public service um, is how this plays out in a, in a court of law so when a court of law deems someone to be competent, at the expert level, it's often predicated on the individual and sometimes their organizational credentials that the individuals carry with them onto the witness stand. You know, nothing's more uncomfortable than when it comes to testifying beyond your level of competence. Defense attorneys love that situation. We've all seen individuals who do this deliberately, you know, the so-called experts, because anybody can be a hired gun, but often it's the time that individuals inadvertently get pushed into testifying beyond their competence there are times even that a person believes their competency is more than what it really is and of course attorneys relish those moments because if they can discredit your testimony in any way it can potentially jeopardize you know the case that that you're testifying for so you know there's certainly one major concern that is one major concern to the validity of a credential is is when you are in a position of testifying in court you know as an ibti member you may be a certified bomb technician but you know be very cognizant of what this credential actually means in terms of its validity and appropriateness and i say that because you know with atf for 22 years of my 30 year 31 year Career and counting. I was an ATF certified explosive specialist. I would always tread very lightly when it came to what this credential actually reflected in terms of my personal knowledge, skills, and abilities. I never wanted to tout myself as an expert. I got referred to that a lot of times by people based on just what my knowledge, skills, and abilities were. But, you know, certainly it wasn't something I considered myself. And you have to know your limitations of your personal or even your agency's credentials. So kind of to sum that up from a public service perspective, valid credentials can very much be a mechanism to reducing personal and agency liability. And they can be part of a credential stacking process in order to ensure an individual is truly competent for the position they hold. They can serve as a predictive measure for desired employee performance And, you know, ultimately when agencies are committed to ensuring their personnel have the right valid credentials for the expertise that they expect, it's a win for everyone. It's a win for the individual, it's a win for the agency, and it's a win for the public.
0: Okay. So Bob, you mentioned certifications in terms of valid credentialing.
1: Yes, I I did. And I appreciate you bringing me back to that topic because, um, you know, so often what I found uh, during the course of my career and as I got more involved in in this in the quality field is that people use those terms certifications and certificates kind of interchangeably, and, you know, it's important to distinguish the difference. I, I think most people understand it, but, you know, it's very important that, that we kind of lay that out there. So, for instance, you may, you know, obviously sometimes you hear someone talking about their educational credentials. And you assume it speaks to the competency of that individual. You know, yes, it may. And yes, it may not. We've all taken one of a number of certificate issuing courses during the course of our careers. And when we successfully completed the course, you know, obviously, David, we hopefully received an aesthetically pleasing document suitable for framing. As I once heard a, a fellow Brit say, you know, time for Time for tea and pats on the back all around. Um, You know, you've completed and earned that certificate. But the competency that is necessary to actually be able to perform a job may have absolutely nothing to do with that piece of paper on the wall. So think of certificate type credentials as one and done. Once you have successfully fulfilled the requirements of that certificate program, you receive a certificate and it can never typically ever be taken away from you. Remember, even Ted Bundy was a a highly educated person and had degrees. In fact, it may take a series of certificates earned to actually qualify or maintain a certification. So obviously there could be a direct nexus between certificates and certifications, but with certifications, the key difference is that they result from an assessment process are usually awarded by a third party they reflect mastery of the competency required, are typically industry-established and legally defensible, (laughs) often attaching a formal designation to the individual or organization, such as their certified whatever. They will have ongoing requirements, unlike certificates, to demonstrate continued proficiency and, most importantly, those certifications are actually owned by the certification body, not not the individual or not the agency. And therefore, there should be provisions that they can take away from the holder, obviously subject to various conditions, for instance, letting your credential expire without recertification, but they can take those away from you for a variety of reasons. And And that's a key difference. You know, you can't, take a university can't take a a, cert, a degree away from you but a certification is a different animal and, and it can be removed and and because of that key difference in industry and you know even in our our field individuals with certain very valid certification credentials are often way more marketable than individuals with only certificate type credentials
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember, Bob, in the the late 80s, my my first IBTI conference where we used to get issued a certificate to say we've attended 40 hours of training on advanced bomb disablement. So clearly we've moved on from that stage that if you had to sum up the value of valid credentialing currently in public service, what would you say? Well,
1: you know, and let me just touch on what you just said there, because that's very important. You know, on paper, you know, what is what exactly does advanced bomb disablement mean on paper? does it actually really relate to the competency that would be required to conduct advanced bomb disablement? And, and of course, you know, eventually, you know, people came to agree that, you know, that really isn't a proper way to describe what this certificate is really all about. And I think, I think that's important is that we have to take a hard look at these things and say, what is it we're really getting from that credential? What is it we're really getting from that certificate? What is it really, what are we getting with that certification? And I'm glad you asked me to kind of, you know, in essence, sum up, you know, what this, what this really means, because I always feel like, okay, so I've bored everybody to tears with credentialing talk, but what does it really mean? How does it relate to the bigger picture of things that are going on in our society? And, you know, I think when you you there are definitely some profet, professions that are very strict and demanding in terms of what constitutes a valid credential so any if you take a look at the medical field look how look how quickly you understand what how it relates to that you know licensing and certifications for medical professionals in fact you know in terms of IBTI members i think those who work specifically in the forensic side of explosives work probably have a lot more personal and organizational experience with valid credentialing um, than the rest of us. You know, it's it's the rest of us and the organizations we work for who sometimes overlook or underappreciate the value attached to credentials. You know, David, several years ago, IEB, IEBTI went down a very unique path in terms of valid credentialing with the development and implementation of the Certified International Post-Blast Investigator Program. Um, you know, I can speak from personal experience that this credential was developed with, uh, in terms of industry accepted personnel certification programs in mind, um, with essentially one, mission that is, uh, being that of accreditation by a third party, because unfortunately in terms of funding and personnel resources, that may be a component of this credential, which may or may not come to fruition. However, the CIPBI program itself is fairly rigorous requires a number of underlying credentials, uh, a lot of certificate uh, credentials, and it is certainly an assessment-based credential. Um, Most importantly, it requires a continual demonstration of proficiency in order to maintain the credential. So, you know, ultimately the value of this IBTI credential is measured by the ability of the credential to predict a certain level of basic competency of the individual in conducting a post blast investigations, that's the true test of that credential, which is it hasn't exactly been answered at this point, but it's something to look look towards. You know, lastly, David, if, if I can kind of sum up some uh, some points about this whole valid credentialing topic, there's 13 different questions that I kind of use to summarize how you you know essentially determine if something's a valid credential and it's things that you can ask of yourself or of your agency in terms of assessing credentials the the first one being you know what is the level of rigor involved with obtaining the credential you know oftentimes easy does not equate to validity pull the curtain back on this on the credentialing program and be willing to take a hard look at it who or what is the source of the credential don't assume the individuals or organization providing the credential are legitimate. Be willing to question the basis for the organization's legitimacy. Uh, third is, Thirdly, is the credential provider themselves credentialed to be a credential provider? Uh, and I say that because there actually is an ISO standard, uh, ISO 17011, that applies to credential providers. So it's fair to say there actually is an industry standard for, for that as well. Does the credential require ongoing demonstration of proficiency? This is so important. You know, I I always think about riding a bike, okay? So yeah, once you learn to ride a bike, you can always ride a bike. But can you always ride a bike well? Can you always ride a bike at the same level you rode when you first learned? You know, there's, there's differences. The proficiency testing needs to be designed to be very specific about assessing the competencies that are required by the credential. What is the level of rigor in maintaining the credential? Again, I go back to this. Easy does not always equate to validity. Another question to ask, is the credential directly aligned with required competencies for the position you are seeking? And that's where I talked about, you know, was there some type of job task analysis or competency model done? In other words, somebody actually figured out, okay, you're gonna be a certified whatever. Here are the actual key elements or or components of competency you need to be able to do that particular job. And then those are the things that the the credential need to be based off of, not somebody just thinking the things off the top of their head, you know, what they think is good for everybody. Um, What processes did the credential provider utilize to directly align the credential to the required competencies you're seeking? Does earning the credential require passing written and or observable assessments? If it doesn't have assessments, you really have to question the validity of the credential. I'm not saying it won't be, you know, not valid, but you really have to question just what it, what it is it's trying to achieve. Is the credentialing entity accredited? Again, you know, I, and I say this, NCEDR, where I work, is a credentialing issuing entity. We are, I'll be perfectly honest, we are not accredited under an ISO standard for being a credentialing issuing entity, but we're no different from a lot of agencies that work in our, our field. Is the credentialing program accredited? Now this is important because this is something we are pursuing at NCEDAR, Is We are trying to attach more validity to the credentials we issue, and so we are seeking accreditation for those programs does the credentialing provider have policies and procedures in place regarding the use or misuse of the credential this is very important with certifications and for instance IBTI if you're a CIPBI and then you're out testifying in court or you're out telling the public all these things you know about that are beyond the scope of your certification uh, this may bring discredit upon the credential itself and so the credential provider has to have a mechanism to be able to revoke or suspend uh, that credential for those kinds of situations. Does the industry or the field accept and recognize the value of the credential? Now, that to me is very important because if the if the field you're working in doesn't even accept the value of the credential, that's, that's a huge red flag right there. So it's very important that the industry and the field Be willing to continually evaluate which credentials are critical to being and remaining competent in their industry field. And and lastly, the credential providers need to remain relevant. They must have a system to constantly evaluate and review what it is they're doing, what it is they base their credential on, so that they remain relevant. It can't be, you know, okay, we created this wonderful credential and now it's good forever. It just doesn't work that way.
0: Well, Bob, that sort of segues into the, the um, you mentioned the IBTI's Certified International Post-Blast Investigators credentials. What can you briefly tell us about that? So uh,
1: that that particular certification came about from some really, you know, some voluntary talent, which is what IBTI is always based on, that came together and said, you know, they recognized there was no similar credential to that in existence anywhere around the world. Now there's, there's a lot of post-blast re- relevant training. There's a lot of post-blast credentials in terms of certificates, but there was never an actual personal certification program for post-blast investigators. So they saw this as a unique opportunity to put IBTI at the forefront of this particular um, model of establishing a very valid credential for this. And the program was always, Designed and based around making it a very valid and relevant credential, and it, and it remains that way to this day. And I, and I wish because I, I know this program very well. You know, obviously I'm volunteer and and working with this program directly. I know that this program would be suitable for third-party accreditation, but essentially it comes down to it's a money and a time issue because you have to have somebody who is always constantly maintaining the program. You have to have the money to put it forth. It doesn't, accreditation doesn't come cheap, but maybe one day that will be something that can be accomplished. But in the meantime, and this is what I'm really happy about with the program is every other thing that makes it valid has been instituted as part of that program.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for that, Bob. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up today's podcast?
1: Yeah, sure, David. Just uh, you know, I think I've probably ran my mouth way too much, and uh, if people aren't asleep by now, well, that's too bad. But they can always go back and re-listen to it. That's the beauty of podcasts, right? You know, if I had to say, you know, what what really is truly the big picture here is when we when we start talking about uh, valid credentialing and its importance to what we do. You know, at least in the United States, I think probably there's other countries that have had this issue for many many years. There's been a lot of growing distrust uh, by the citizens uh, of our country of their government, and this distrust keeps growing and growing. And I think everyone in government, instead of just blaming it on this thing or the or the other, everyone in government needs to take a hard look at what the causes are for this distrust, and and more importantly, you know, how can we as government move forward to regain this trust? I mean. I not only work for a government, but I'm a citizen of a government. So, you know, I see it from both ends. And I think it's important for uh, people to trust their government. And I think it's important for government to respect the people they work for. So when I talk about valid credentialing, I just see this as a tool that obviously it directly impacts competency. And hopefully competency leads to greater successful performance by individuals and organizations. And of course that has a direct impact on the public's perception and expectations of what the government is doing. And if valid credentialing can lead to positive results, then it becomes easier for government to demonstrate to the public the importance of why we're doing this. You have this expectation of government that'll perform at a certain level. Well, hey, here's a pathway to get there for all our people. Uh, We have this whole system of achieving credentials that will make all our people competent to what they do. And eventually, everybody's going to realize, both from the public and the government side, that this connection is going to hopefully garner support from uh, the public and the personnel and the governments to support valid credentialing and to seek it out and to pay for it. For this reason, I can't help but think that valid credentialing really does have a direct link to enhancing public trust in what we do. And also, you know, it's part of a bigger thing about self-improvement. You know, we always say we want to get better, we want to get bigger, we want to get smarter, and what have you. Uh, well, I don't necessarily want to get bigger, but I do want to get smarter if I can. And you know, it's very important for government to ask themselves, okay, if improvement—and by improvement, the segue, one of the segues to that is valid credentialing. If improvement's not a systemic quality to you or your agency that you work for then just what are the systemic qualities that your agency are operating under it's very important to look at it that way
0: bob it's been a great pleasure to talk to you today and i'm, I'm very grateful for the uh, time you've taken out of your busy program to uh, come and speak to us and our members um bob boland thank you very much
1: thank you david i, I appreciate uh, getting the opportunity to speak about this
0: The views, information, or opinions expressed during the IABTI Blast podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of IABTI. The IABTI is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of the information contained in the podcast series.